Melissa. Hello, Kyle. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It is a bright and sunshiny Monday morning. We are in the middle of November. It's finally cold outside. (laughs) I feel like we're off to a good start. I'm wearing wool socks in my house. I'm feeling great. It definitely feels like November. It does. It does. Last weekend did not feel like November when it was like 75 degrees. <laughs> so I'm very glad that we're having seasonally appropriate temperatures now. Not at all. Not at all. All right. Well, knowing now that it is the second full week of November, that takes us to a week after our most recent election, which to me, it seems like a perfect time for us to do another check-in episode about what's going on in Washington. Now, full disclosure, this episode will probably not be talking about the results of last week's election, though it is important. There actually are a lot of things that are still up in the air at the time that we're recording this. We still don't know who has control of the House of Representatives, so really there's nothing for us to discuss with Absolutely. regard to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave that to the other experts. Right. Political <laughs> pundits and prognosticators, that's not our that's, that's not my forte in that. That's not what we do here. No. So. As as Melissa and I do tend to have a lot of opinions, none of them pertain to that. But Correct. No. Um but we did want to touch in on a couple of ongoing issues that are definitely of relevance to you all, all of our listeners in the club management space. Now, Melissa is our resident in-house expert on all things related to advocacy and legislative issues when it comes to the club industry. And she has a couple of areas that she wanted to provide updates on. Um, I will be doing the honors of asking these questions and I'm excited to dive in because there have been some significant changes um, over the last several months. So let's go ahead and dive in. As always, I'm really just happy to be joined by this expert, Melissa Lowe. But um, Melissa, we have had, I mean, I think this comes up every year, the H2B visa issue. There's always not enough for how many people are requesting them. Um, And I think every year, every six months, it feels like we have another update when it comes to H2B visas. But um, there have been more released. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that looks like and and how that's going to look moving forward? Sure. So just to kind of set the stage for this, uh, H-2B visas, those are the seasonal visas used by a lot of clubs to help supplement their uh, peak seasonal needs. Um, You know, and our folks in Florida, that's over the winter. Our folks in the Northeast, that's over the summer, right? So, you know, the issue is there are 66,000 of those released every year, um, half for the first half of the year, half for the second half of the year. So, and As everyone knows, the fiscal year for the federal government in September 30th, new one starts October 1st. And uh, this year, back in September, on the 12th, the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, what we call USCIS, and the Department of Labor announced that they were already out of all of them. for They were out of first half visas for fiscal year 2023. So yeah, basically what, three weeks before the fiscal year started, <laughs> they came out and said Just kidding, um, we don't that have they were <laughs> they were not going to uh, release anymore. So interestingly enough, uh, kicking us forward to October, uh, the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Labor came out and announced something that they've really never done before. And that is um, releasing additional visas for the entirety of the year. 
So what they've kind of done is these um, stopgap measures in the past okay. where they've released additional, they, you know, the, the limit has been hit, then they've released some additional ones. Then we get to the second half of the fiscal year limit, that limit gets hit and they hit, they release some additional ones. But as you all know, that's not really um, helpful for employers who are relying on those because the period has probably already started. You're getting things, folks in late, you know, you're, you're kind of scrambling. No, so not ideal, you know, not ideal. And, you know, last year was the first time that they actually released fiscal year for the first half of the fiscal year's extra visas. That was the first time ever. But because of when they did it, they really didn't even release them. They announced intent in December, didn't release them until January. You're at that point, you know, it's not really helping you because, you know, the second half starts April 1st. So this year, the Department of Homeland Security and, and DOL have come out and said they're going to release an their intent is to release nearly 65,000 more visas for fiscal year 2023, which is great. That's huge. So, um, you know, this is going to be a, a huge help. Um, it's certainly not going to, unfortunately, remedy the problem long term, but it certainly will help for fiscal year 2023. Now, what they are doing is earmarking these visas, mm -hmm. just like they have with our in the past couple of years, they've really earmarked a certain number. So of those 65,000, it's actually 64,716. We're just going to go with the 65,000 number because <laughs> it's so much easier to say that. So of those, 20,000 of those will be earmarked specifically work from workers coming from the countries of Haiti, Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador. Those last three are what we call Northern Triangle countries. Mm -hmm. um, and so those have been um, targeted specifically to help those individuals uh, with the issues. So, and Haiti was added to that list. Um, with our last batch coming out last year. So the rest of those visas that we have, that additional 47,000 and Ish. change, are going to be specifically for returning workers. And this is um, something that we've uh, advocated for for a number of years, which is to bring back what's called the returning worker Return provision. Worker. Yep. And so basically, these returning workers are people that have used the program successfully in the last three years, completed their time of service, returned home, checked all the boxes, so it would allow them to be exempted from that cap. So specifically, those additional 47,000 visas are going to be um, designated specifically for them. So that, you know, that will leave the additional 33,000 that are available for the second half of the fiscal year. Those can be used for, for new folks. Um, so there's going to be more more um, details released yeah. on this as the forthcoming rule comes out. So um, and it'll you know give more clarity about how they're going to release those visas. That is sometimes the difficulty that we have. There's this period of time where we we find out that they're going to be forthcoming, and then we're kind of waiting on the rule and the details to come out. So hang tight for all that information. That's really, really good information. Thank you for sharing that, Melissa. I'm hopeful that that will mean that, you know, staffing uh, for our clubs becomes a little bit easier. Um, that returning worker provision is a huge, huge boon, I think, uh, too. So great updates. Um, DOL has been busy. <laughs> As per usual, I right. feel like every time I chat with Melissa, Melissa's like, oh, I'm reading something from TOL. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. It sounds yep. fascinating. <laughs> she keeps trying to foist it off on me and I keep not taking it. So that's just, I'm just doing my part here. Um, but there are some updates with the DOL independent contractor rules. Melissa, do you want to jump in and explain a little bit about what is going on there. I know like a lot of people probably don't really understand the nuances of independent contractors and it can get very complicated. So hopefully this provides some 
clarity and insight. Sure. So the Department of Labor has come out um, with a new proposal to redefine the way that you um, decide whether an individual is an employee or an independent contractor under the Fair Labor Standards Act. This is a proposal, so it is not final. This is the, the part of the rulemaking process. You know, we've uh, we've kind of been up and down with the independent contractor mm-hmm. um, definitions over the last couple of years. Uh, there was a cert, there was a definition that came out, um, really a an economic realities test that was used under the Trump administration. Uh, when the Biden administration came in, they they tried to roll that back. They probably didn't quite um, hit the rollback in the way that you're supposed to because there are rules and regulations about how you promulgate rules and how you roll back rules. They didn't quite do that right. So ultimately, the court struck down their effort, first effort, and that bumped us back to um, the now. existing rule of the, you know, so the DOL is starting the process to go, you know, to do this the the way you cross your T's and cross dot your, your T's, I's. dot your I's and your lowercase <clears throat> J's. <laughs> yeah. So we've been we've been waiting on this rule to come out for about six months. And you know, what we initially thought was that the rule would actually mirror the California rule, which is the ABC test. It's a stringent rule, it's very specific. Um, but what came out while does not mirror that rule is very similar in spirit to the California rule. Um, it, if it, you know, officially rescinds the previous uh, multi-factored realities test and is going to what it's called the totality of circumstances approach. Um, and, you know, so it basically takes some of the things that were in the previous rule and then adds to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but while looking at these six economic realities, it also leans back on, we're going to take a holistic view of truly. So it's not really, a, it's not clear. It's not like a checklist. It's not a, th- right. this factor puts this person in this column versus this column. It's actually, um, it's it's difficult. I mean, the, <clears throat> it's difficult to understand. It's difficult, I think, that a lot of employers are going to be stuck in a very gray area if this yeah. becomes law. Um, so I'm just going to just very briefly mention what the six factors are. I have a great blog on this. It actually bullets this out, gives you very specific questions that the DOL is considering under each one of these. And then, um, so number one, they're going to look at the opportunity for the individual's profit or loss, depending on their managerial skill. So, can the worker decide the charge or pay for the work they're doing? Can they accept or decline jobs? Can they engage in meaningful negotiation? Um, do they market, advertise? Do they try to expand their work? Um, do they make decisions to hire others to purchase materials, equipment, rent space? Um, and again, do they have that opportunity for loss just as much as profit? Um, number two is investments by worker and the employer. Um, what is the amount and value of the worker's investment? What is the nature and reason for the investment? Um, you know, this is beyond supplies. This yep. is not, I bought supplies to perform this job. This is real. They're really looking at real investment here. What's the degree of the permanent, number three, That what's the degree of the permanence of the work relationship? Um, you know, how long, what's the duration? 
Um, is there a contract? Is it automatically renewed? Is the worker relationship exclusive? Do they work for other people outside of, do they perform work for pe other people outside of, of this relationship? Number four, the nature and degree of control. And in this area, they specifically outlined four things, scheduling, supervision, the ability to set the price for workers and goods. Again, we heard that a minute ago. So there's, again, that's why they're going with this totality. There's overlap in these categories and the ability to work for others. So again, mm -hmm. you heard it a minute ago. Number five, the extent to which the work is performed is an integral part of the employer's business. Is this individual providing a service that is integral, is specific, ingrained in your in your business and right. then last so not like a nice to have situation but an absolutely necessary we need this function to right. be successful and this individual who is completing it is doing it in totality correct <laughs> correct and so you know it makes it very difficult if that work is so much a part of what you offer to say that that person is truly an independent right. contractor and not an employee. So that, that, that's where that's where it's leaning uh, based sure. on based on the rule. And then last, skill and initiative. Does the worker have specialized skills, and does the worker exercise business-like initiative in the use of their specialized skills? So not just that they're using their specialized skills, but are they using it? Do they have initiative? Are they really building business versus just performing that A service? Task. Sure. So. And, and here's the confusing thing. Beyond those six factors, the DOL is proposing the consideration of additional factors if they indicate that a worker may be in business for themselves in a totality of the circumstances approach. So basically, and I quote, the necessity of considering all facts that are relevant to the question of economic dependence or independence regarding of whether those facts fit within one of the enumerated factors. Wow, clear as mud. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> super, super clear. And you know what? I think one of the things that that is is most concerning is really that, you know, and and this is the language that DOL says it's a, it's to be expected that not every factor will align with the ultimate result in many cases. And I think that's the that's going to be the problem for an employer and for a club looking at determining this. Making that determination, you're, totally. you're not being. It's not a checklist. No. And so that there may be one factor that skews it completely off. But again, it's a gray area. And you know, just like we have advocated in a number of areas when it comes to regulation, employers, clubs need clear lines. You know, um, we represent you know and work with managers who manage clubs from all sizes who have who have you know a dedicated hr person to those who have someone who's doing that as a multifunction of their job and to be able to make this kind of determination should not be something that you have to go get outside legal expertise <laughs> on you know you, you should be able to to look at this and i so i you know i think that's one of the considerations that we're making now we're we're working together Kyle with mm -hmm. um a couple of our allied industry partners, so the National Club Association and the National Golf Course Owners Association at the stage, uh, to put together comments. And, yeah, uh, and comments know, are open until the end of this month. Isn't that correct? They are. So they're okay. they're letting us get through Turkey Day. So those are due Great. on November 28th. And so we're going to be able to, we're putting forward our response and, and really focusing on that issue, which is, you know, uh, 
this needs to be a clear rule. This needs to be something that's not overly complicated for employers to understand, um, to be able to make sure that they are in compliance with the law. Mm-hmm. So from that process, the Department of Labor will take all of those comments, digest them, make any um, needed changes to the rule based on, on what they're hearing, and then promulgate a new rule. And from there, there's usually about 60 to 90 days after the rule goes into effect um, before you have to be in full compliance. So there is some time. Again, this is, I can't stress it enough, this is a proposal. Um, the final rule will probably be tweaked a little bit uh, to adjust with some for some of the comments. Uh, but it's something that clubs should be looking at. And mm-hmm. independent contractors are a topic that comes up a lot when, I, when I'm talking with clubs about some of the programs that they utilize, whether it's in golf instruction, tennis instruction, mm-hmm. um, obviously our spa, fitness, and wellness professionals. Um, so it's, it's definitely an area that clubs need to be watching for. And we certainly would, I'm certainly love to hear from any other clubs as we uh, move forward on how they're approaching this. And I, I know clubs have already taken steps, um, you know, when managing these kinds of folks uh, specifically in this area. So, but always love to hear um, from our members in terms of how they're they're managing with this. Absolutely. And as Melissa mentioned, she has a great blog post about this. If you have more questions or you want to dive into it a little bit more, um, you can head over to connect.cmaa.org and go over to the legislative report blog. Um, She posted that blog just a couple of weeks ago. I'm trying to find the date on it. I'm just reading it (laughs) myself um, because it is it is very complicated. There are a lot of um, there's a lot of nuance here. Um, and if you're not familiar with some of the language used or if, you know, if, if HR isn't your area of expertise at all, like some this this post can really help um, help you understand sort of the higher level impacts of what this rule change could could mean. Um, but definitely head over to the legislative report blog. Give that a read. Um, she's got links in there to DOL, to the public comments um, submission. So. If you have thoughts, please share them with us. We'd love to hear them because, as Melissa said, she's working with some of our allied organizations to put together comments. Um, and so we do want to hear from you and, and hear about what those impacts could mean uh, for, for you and your situations. Um, Melissa, thank you so much for sharing your expertise, as always. I love to do a, a little quick legislative update, um, <laughs> especially in the in the post-election season that we're in. Um, Absolutely. I think that kind of wraps us up for that conversation, but obviously as things change over the next several months, we'll be back with more updates, probably related to labor because that's always the case. Right. <laughs> um, moving forward, we have some quick announcements with regard to some upcoming events and deadlines here at CMAA. First and foremost, if you are interested in serving on a national committee, um, Volunteer, we are taking volunteers for that right now. Um, we are encourage people to get involved with CMAA at any level that you can, obviously, whether it's your chapter level or the national level. Um, but right now we're doing a call for um, participation in our standing and special committees for 2023. You have until December 31st to submit your interest and apply for participation in one of those committees. There's a really great form where you can indicate all of your areas of interest. If you have a specific committee that you'd love to be a part of, you can indicate that there. If you don't care and you just want to be 
part of the fun and invited to the party, you can do that too. Um, so far, I think we have more than 100 folks who said, yes, please sign me up. I'd love to help, which is fantastic. I mean, we really depend, our success as an organization truly depends on the volunteers that step up and say, yes, I want to be part of this leadership process. Um, the more diverse and varied voices that we can have involved in our national committees, the better representation we have across the board of all of the different types of voices that are members of this association. So even if you feel like, oh, that's not really for me, I never see anybody who looks like me or sounds like me or has my experience on those committees, uh, no, Now's your time, do it. <laughs> That's exactly when it's for you. Um, we really want to encourage participation from folks from all levels of club management. So if you are a professional or alumnus member in good standing, and if you haven't renewed your membership yet, now's a great time to reinstate because then you can participate. Absolutely. Um, please do so, so that, like I said, that closes December 31st. You have a month and a half to, uh, to Tell us that you're interested and we'll be happy to have you. Uh, committee assignments will come out um, in next spring. We will be sharing those um, invitations with anyone who is selected. So um, get those submissions in. You can find a link for that on our homepage. Very easy front and center, um, but it's also going to be an outlook and on our social media. So just, just keep your eyes peeled. If it pops up and you see it and you're interested, take a look and fill out that form. Absolutely. And we special shout out to our 2022 Advocacy and Communications <laughs> Committee members. Um, Kyle and I have the fun of being involved with both of those committees, and we love those folks, uh, especially the Communications Committee, who is uh, responsible and um, involved in uh, in helping us generate content for things like the podcast and Absolutely. the magazine. So. And I mean, upside, if you participate in the communications committee or the advocacy committee, you get to hang out with me and Melissa on a semi-regular basis. So like if there was ever a selling point, there it is. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> All right. Um, next announcement, we want to just cover a couple of things about World Conference. We're so excited. This is coming up very quickly and it will be here before we all know it. Um, but we have a couple of our featured speakers that we wanted to highlight today. Melissa, since you are the, of the two of us, the resident baseball fan, um, do you want to talk a little bit about one of our speakers? Sure. sure, absolutely. We are thrilled to announce that our opening business session speaker will be Cal Ripken Jr. You Ooh. probably know this true legend of baseball, the Iron Man Cal Ripken. He broke several professional records during 21 seasons. 21 seasons. That's wild. Uh, but none is as sacred as his consecutive games played record. He shattered Lou Gehrig's streak of 21, 31 games by more than 500. So, you know, it's a great opportunity to hear him just ex uh, explain his perseverance, endurance, and his everyday work ethic. That really helped endear him to fans. Shout out to all of my uh, Baltimore <laughs> Orioles fans on the low side, married into the the that family, and they love 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 Cal Ripken. Um, so it's a great opportunity to get inspired by this legendary Iron Man of baseball. That's going to be Saturday morning, February twenty fifth, eight to ten a.m. at the beautiful. Gaylord Palms Resort. So please make sure that you have uh, added that to your calendar. Yes. And 
you know, I'm, I mean, I'm obviously excited about seeing Cal Ripken Jr. I think like as a sports fan in general, he's a great uh, figure and someone to hear from. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. But I think personally, I'm most excited for our closing business session keynote speaker, and that is Chef Dominique Crenn. Um, Dominique Crenn is the chef and owner of Atelier Crenn in San Francisco. Um, she focuses her cuisine as a craft and the community is her inspiration. Um, she was the first female chef in the U.S. to receive three Michelin stars, which is incredible. Um, she also owns Petit Crenn, which is a restaurant that really ties to the home cooking of Brittany, which is where she's from in France, um, and Bar Crenn, which is a wine bar that pays homage to Parisian salons of the earliest early 20th century. Um, in 2021, she was honored as the world's 50 best icon award for her constant presence in the international culinary community, promoting innovation, sustainability, and equality through her restaurant ideals and participation with various panels and summits. Um, my favorite thing about Dominique Crenn is that she was on um, the Netflix documentary series Chef's Table, which if you haven't watched, I highly recommend. I think it's season two that she's featured in, but all of the seasons of that show are fantastic. Um, but that gives a really great intimate portrait of who she is as a chef, how her brain works, um, and a little bit more about her story. So it's great pre-work if you're interested in learning a little bit more about her. Um, but she will be joining us, as I said, at the closing business session, and that is on Tuesday, February 28th, again at the Gaylord Palms in Orlando. And uh, yeah, I'm really super looking forward to that session. I know it's at the end of the week, but it'll be a great way to cap off our week together at World Conference with a great uh, speaker who will have a really wonderful story. I think there's a lot of things about her that make her unique and special, um, not to mention the fact that she's just an incredible chef. So I look forward to hearing from her. Uh, registration for conference is open. It's been open for about a month at this point. If you head over to cma.org conference, you can access that registration if you haven't registered yet, but you can also learn more about the event, check out some of our sessions, some of the additional activities, which over the next couple of months, we will be diving into in great detail here on the podcast. We're gonna give you as much behind the scenes information as we can. Um, in the meantime, head on over to cmaa.org slash conference to learn more and get registered. We are so excited. And don't forget to do that before December 15th. Yes. That is when the end of early bird pricing is gone. Happens. And yep. it's the, the best deal that you can get by saving $100 on both education only and full registration. So Absolutely. definitely check that out. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that kind of ties us up for the end of this episode in the middle of November. Um, we have a few more episodes scheduled for the rest of the year. We're excited to bring you a couple more conversations with our friends over at Copley Keebler and Wallace. And we're going to do a special best of 2022 wrap up episode with our CEO, Jeff Morgan, and maybe another special guest. Um, but we're looking forward to finishing the year strong and getting started on 2023 here very soon. It's right around the corner. Um, but until then, I'm Kyle. That's Melissa. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Take care.
The Let's Talk Club Management podcast is a podcast of the Club Management Association of America. Since 1927, CMAA has been the largest professional association for managers of membership clubs throughout the U.S. and internationally. The objectives of the association are to promote relationships between club management professionals and other similar professions, to encourage the education and advancement of members, and to provide the resources needed for efficient and successful club operations. Under the covenants of professionalism, education, leadership, and community, CMAA continues to extend its reach as the leader in the club management practice. CMAA is headquartered in Alexandria, Virginia, with more than 40 professional chapters and more than 40 student chapters and colonies. Please learn more at www.cmaa.org. Org.